being a small business, trying to cash flow everything and whatnot, the challenges that you face as a craft distiller. And how many people told you, do not do it? <laughs> oh, at the beginning? Yes. Yeah, mainly my wife and my parents. So. <laughs> this is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Now, it's no secret that we're huge fans of Finger Lakes Distilling, since it is one of the most crucial components in the blend of Pursuit United. And a few months ago, we booked some flights and took our recording equipment on the road to go to upstate New York. And we sat down with their president, owner, and former distiller, Brian McKenzie. We talk about his journey into whiskey and some of the challenges he faced as a craft distiller just getting started. We cover the unique aspects of being a craft distiller with a column still, which is actually very rare to see. They're incredibly low barrel entry proof, which is usually around 100, and they're infamous weeded bourbon. With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Jaden Mullins, and the question's so good, I don't have an answer for it, but it's a philosophical question of our time. Uh, just wanted your opinion since I can't find any information myself. My question is, considering the reason bourbon is amber is essentially due to the oak barrel leaching into the whiskey. That's true. All that color comes from the barrel. How much bourbon would one have to drink to consume a barrel's worth of wood? All right, Jaden, how many woodchucks would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck chucked some wood? I mean, I think we have the new philosophical question of our lifetime here, folks. Jaden Mullins just changed the game. How many barrels have you consumed? I mean, if you think about it, Kenny Ryan and I, we may as well be an oak forest between the three of us with how much bourbon we've consumed in our lifetime. If you want to think about it from that perspective, I mean, we're just a walking um, white oak forest in my belly. I got trees growing in there. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, Jaden, I have no idea. I just love the question. I think it's funny. I don't think it's funny, funny, but I think it's worth pondering. And I'm going to run it up the flagpole to someone, you know, who can bring us a real answer here. I'm going to go to Independence Dave with this question and um, I'll probably read it later. But uh, I had to I had to get this out in the uh, in the universe for everyone to hear. I want you to let us know on Twitter or Instagram or wherever, how many barrels do you think you have consumed? How many full barrels of like the actual wood do you think you have consumed in your lifetime? That's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you're like Jaden and you have a cool idea, hit me up on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or write me on fredminnick.com with your question. Hopefully, I won't be stumped, <laughs> no pun intended, like I was here with Jaden. But if I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. 
Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan going on the road. I think this is the furthest north we've ever been to record, but it's exciting. I think, so. but it's I think exciting. the furthest north we were was yesterday, and now we've extended it. We've further. extended yet yes. another one, another one. So uh, we are up in the Finger Lakes region of New York, which is a beautiful area. Yeah. And I got to, I actually got to experience something new today, too. When we were driving, I, we rented a, a VW Passat, and I got to see what the uh, cruise control when they it senses a car in front of you is adaptive cruise control i've now i've realized what i've been missing out on this entire time with having yeah, something kenny's just going back and forth and he's like see this it'll test the line and autograph's like just <laughs> like, grab the damn my wheel hand, my hands are off the wheel i'm like letting it like go ahead and move itself and yeah i wasn't um, i wasn't a fan but he was <laughs> i was like me riding okay. and partying last night so i'm a little anxious already so <laughs> i was like just damn grab the damn wheel but uh no it's we flew into Rochester. I think it's about an hour and a half down here to uh, the distillery. And it reminds me a lot of Kentucky, a lot of beautiful rolling fields, corn fields, wheat fields, soy. And uh, yeah, it's, and then you get up and you're on this massive, massive body of water. You know, we're yeah, just huge. on one of the fingers. I don't know how many fingers there are. Five. Five. Okay. But the I one so. I saw is the one we're on is pretty big. And I think Brian said it was like 630 feet deep. That's a, some bodies will stay down there fresh <laughs> down there. <laughs> some so. bodies, you get some scuba training in, that sort of thing. Yeah, but this trip's been long overdue. I mean, gosh, we've been buying whiskey from Brian for three or four years now. He's been a critical critical partner with our Pursuit Series, and then he's a critical component of the United Blend. And so we, we were happy to finally make it up here because we've been sending him checks. We need to just make sure there's some barrels up here for us. <laughs> it's but, a, uh, no, it's he's a, got the running joke. Yeah, the checks are cashing. Let's make sure we have the barrels up here. <laughs> he's been such a pleasure to work with and we have such fantastic whiskey and we're, we're so happy to have a long-term partnership and glad to see it all in the flesh now. It's awesome. Yeah, definitely. So we, we've talked about him. Let's go ahead and introduce him and have him on here. So today on the show, we have Brian McKenzie. He is the founder and president of Finger Lakes Distilling. So Brian, welcome back to the show. No, it's, this is awesome to have you guys here in person. Gotten to know you a bit over the years, and now it's uh, it's just great to show you the place. And as you see, we do have some barrels here for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, and you're like 
came up here. I don't have to go there or get on a Zoom call. You know, it's easy for you. <laughs> <laughs> so the last episode you were on was episode 169. So it's been a bit. Um, I thought what, it was 168, but I, I Yeah, he's keeping count. <laughs> What's changed since then? Well, I think we talked mainly about our Empire Rye project back then, but um, you know that's still something we're really involved with. But uh, honestly, just just continued growth for us, and and uh, you know just trying to do things the right way and and uh, scale up the business and continue to sock whiskey aside and you know host people. Obviously, we went through a pandemic, so that's that's a big change. But I feel like we're stronger than ever. How is the pandemic for you guys here? You know, you're a big tourist town. You know, you got a lot of visitors come enjoy the lake how did that affect you all last year yeah we felt the pain just like everybody i guess at the beginning you know new york state was pretty aggressive in the early stages so we shut down for a few months uh we didn't shut down production at all we were still continued to be deemed essential uh i think people needed their whiskey more than ever uh at that sure. time so uh we we switched gears and did some hand sanitizer for the local hospitals but never really committed to you know tanker trucks of ethanol and stuff like that but we, we knew there was a need, so we did some of that. And then once we got open in June, uh, the Finger Lakes were really just an ideal place for people to, to get out of the cities, you know, come up, hike, be outside. We had a beautiful summer. And then we kind of did a lot of um, business outside um, on our property so people could have a cocktail, be socially distant, and, uh, you know, just have some fun again. So we had a good season and, and generally not that bad of a year. And now I think everybody's, there's this, just built up excitement to get out and have fun. And uh, we're seeing that with increased traffic this year. Kick a few back. Yeah. So wait, and this isn't actually a really good region to be able to do it. And I kind of want to talk about, because this is our first time visiting the area. And if you've never been up here, Ryan and I were driving and wineries, like there's, they're everywhere. Uh, Looks like you've got the the market cornered a little bit on the distilling on the side over here, which is great. Um, I think I saw a few breweries, breweries, but not many distillers. But, you know, I kind of want to talk about you in your background a little bit too did you grow up in this area and decide like this is this is what what i want to do i want to open up a business i want to do distilling kind of talk about your journey into finding whiskey and then wanting to kind of build this business yeah so i think it goes back to even before i I was around my my grandfather came here from scotland and i think there's a you know a lot of similarities with this area with the rolling hills and the lakes and everything so it kind of has that feel a little bit to it uh we're really well known for our wines in the area we have hundred, you know, hundreds of wineries, um, making things like Riesling, Alsatian, um, varietals, uh, and really becoming kind of world renowned for that. I'm from here. I grew up uh, a little South of here, went to school in Ithaca, uh, and have lived here most of my life. Um, I was not somebody that grew up in distilling. I, I, um, actually my background's in banking and finance and, uh, spreadsheets get boring, huh? Yeah. They did. Yeah. <laughs> so did wearing a tie and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, you don't seem like a shirt and tie kind of guy. <laughs> I was for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just something that had always interested me, uh, you know, heading over to Scotland and, and seeing the distilleries, spending time, you know, where you guys are from down in Kentucky, it just uh, every place we traveled it was something I wanted to do is see, you know, the local distillery or, you know, how the products were made and just became an interest. And as I had a transition with the banking career, I uh, knew I wanted to start a business, knew I started, wanted to start something that kind of dovetailed well with the local wine industry and uh, kind of brought those three things together with my interest in spirits and just thought it'd be a really, a really fascinating um, business opportunity here in the Finger Lakes. 
so I guess talk about the the whiskey journey for you. I mean, were were you fascinated with whiskey? Did you start collecting it? Like how how did you become enthralled with it to the point you said I'm going to start buying some grains and getting a still and yeah, put, I, I put this together. I think it started in Scotland. Like I said, I I sat down with a bartender. I can't remember what town I was in, and um, you know, I, I wasn't too old. I was you know maybe a few years into my my drinking career, and and uh, he just kind of took me through the different regions of Scotland, and and you know. Just to think that all of those products were made with the you know the same base ingredient, but they tasted so differently um, was really interesting to me, and and I wanted to know what made you know the Isla uh, heavy peat Scotch different from you know something in the Highlands and that kind of thing. So uh, he he educated me a bit, and I just it kind of sparked the interest and just went from there. So and then coming back into the American whiskey side and wanting to start a distillery, were you? looking at like, oh, we need to find somebody to help guide us through this. Like, I, we don't know what we're doing the first thing. Colin Vendo, like, what do we do? Like, how, kind of, <laughs> what were those first phone calls? Yeah, I, I think some of it was a little uh, uh, research and development on my own. Um, you know, you're not supposed to be. Let me, let me guess, you, you, <laughs> you found some copper, you forged your own still, and you started like, Figuring this out. Is yeah. That's that how the story goes. Never admit to that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, you, you kind of have to, to, to get a comfort level with it. And um, we're lucky we have Cornell University here um, too. They have uh, a test still, and actually they have a bunch of stills on campus now. So that was a legal way to get out there and, and run the equipment and just to get, get kind of used to how it all works. And so we started back in 2008, which um, was a long time in the world of craft spirits at this point. And uh, there wasn't a lot of education out there. Uh, you couldn't take classes too much or, you know, it was just a lot of reading, visiting other distilleries, uh, talking to people. You know, the equipment manufacturers uh, are helpful to some degree, but they they're there to sell equipment, not to teach you how to how to run the equipment. So, yeah, um, love the guys at Vendome, but yeah, no, it, it's uh, yeah, it, it's just been one of those things that you you just try to figure out as you go. So, what when you said you you were fascinated with like with Scotland and I'm assuming single malts and whatnot, where was that your focus at first? Like, I want to recreate single malts and make my own American malt style, but you know, now you're obviously known with us for bourbon, but, uh, what, what was kind of like the initial game plan for, for the distillery and what you were going to distill? Yeah, we, we started distilling uh, single malt right from the beginning. We've kind of adopted that whole theme, you know, with our building, the architecture of the building, you know, we've got kind of a Scottish inspired, uh, design with the pagoda roof and the stucco finish on the building and everything. But, um, I guess my taste is really moved to American whiskeys. Um, we still make the single malts and we put out our first single malt a year or so ago that was a, a 10 and a half year old uh, single malt, which we're real proud of. And we've got more in the pipeline there, but most of our production's uh, bourbon and rye at this point. Okay. So if you're going to doing a lot of stuff in Scotland, Pete or no Pete, where do you, where do you stand on this? Depends on the situation. Oh, I love Pete, but I oh, love Pete. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we're going to go ahead and put a hard line in the sand. We're going to be on the no Pete aisle over here. Yeah, no? we're, we're like sherry finish as okay. sweet as possible. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're bourbon guys. Corn so. or corn guys. Right? It's corn guys. That's what yeah. it comes down to. So you were, you were starting to distill single malts. And I think really what puts you on the map with us and I think a lot of people is your weeded mash bill. And that's kind of really what started perking some years up. Talk first about you know, where you got the idea said, okay, well, I mean, I guess we can do a, a weeded bourbon or was that the first one you tried? Like kind of talk to, talk us through that, that situation. No, uh, my personal preference is for rye, rye bourbon. Um, so that's been our, 
uh, emphasis over the years, um, which may have not been the best strategy now that we've seen how <laughs> well the, the wheat has sold. But yeah, we, we continue to sell a lot of, uh, I call it a high rye bourbon. It's 20% rye in the mash bill. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's got some nice age on it now. The weeded bourbon was really just something, you know, we have a pretty strong single barrel program. So we started laying down some weeded barrels with maybe the idea of selling those through the single barrels. Um, and then we had enough stock at one point where we put out the bottled and bond product uh, with the weeded mash bill and sold through it really fast. So um, now we're trying to catch up and uh, hopefully within the next year to year and a half, we'll have pretty good stocks of that going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah we're always tough. trying to squeeze more weeded bourbon out of him. He's like, guys, <laughs> I would love to, but I don't, I don't even have enough for me to bottle. And he's, you, you always say like, gosh, if I known four years ago, five years, and we all say that, you know, with, he's like, I would have put so much more weeded bourbon down. Uh, that's this business you just forecasting is impossible. It's true. Talk about that as from a craft distiller's mindset of forecasting and how, how challenging it all is from, you know, being a small business, trying to cash flow everything and whatnot, the challenges that you face as a craft distiller and how many people told you do not do it. <laughs> oh, at the beginning? Yes. Yeah. Mainly my wife and my parents. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, uh, I mean, I, I'm actually, you know, my background is forecasting and you mentioned spreadsheets and, but I kind of threw all that out the window or in, in the early days, you know, it was most of our emphasis in the early days was just, um, you know, laying down whiskey. We knew we kind of felt that there would be a market for it. So it was really kind of allowing the cash flow from the business to dictate how much we were going to set aside that year. You know, now that we're a little more mature and been at it for a while, you know, we're looking into the different categories of whiskeys that we make and how much to, how much to set aside each year. Yeah. But you're having fun with it too, because you're, you're doing a lot of different you know, when you, when you talk about the different types of mash bills and different things, like I look behind you, you've got a buckwheat. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of experimenting with a lot of things and usually I'm. Yeah. We've had a spelted bourbon. We've okay. had uh, some cherry malt ryes and all these wild uh, concoctions and they're all fantastic. Do you have like a grain supplier? He's like, Hey, I got something special for you in the back. If you, if you go ahead and pull out your credit card now, like how, how does that, that, that's no, what it actually works. We, like I said, the single barrel program has driven a lot of that. So we don't want to just offer you know, an older high rye bourbon uh, as part of that package. I mean, sometimes we do, but we want these one-offs where people get excited that we've, you know, there's, there's only one or two of these barrels, you know, and, and um, we have such a, a really interesting agricultural mix here uh, in the Finger Lakes that um, it's, it's fun to play around with everything. I wish, you know, I, you know, it's great that we've got our core products and we'll continue to really push that, but um, I don't think we'll ever, you know, get away from being, a little bit more experimental like that. Yeah. Well, fun. I vote for more spelt bourbon. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, it's also tough to, to look at something like that because as, you know, as a, you know, as a founder and a president now, and you're looking of, of forecasting and trying to make sure that you've got, you know, everything set aside. Usually when I, when I look at it in that aspect, I'm like, well, I know the weeded bourbon's great. It's going to sell. Let's go all in on that. So what's your, what's your idea of, is it not just so much of like, okay. You well, sound a lot smarter than me right now. Well, <laughs> it's just one of those he things. He thinks he is. It's, it's you know, I, I think of it like, oh, okay. Like it's a formula that works. Like, let's just go all in here. Um, 
but I think you have a little bit more of a, a creative mindset too. And it's not just all analytical. And you think like, well, no, we've, we've got to experiment. We've got to expand our horizons. We've got to try something different. That's why Kenny needs an idea, man. Not just <laughs> exactly. Man. That's the role you play. <laughs> exactly. It's like, all right, Kenny, here's my idea. You implement it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of companies have been very successful just with that mindset that you find a winner and you just run with it. And, uh, I, I think, Maybe I'm downplaying the fact that, you know, we're really committed to those products and, and we spend most of our production, you know, making those, but we got into the business to have some fun too. And, and, uh, I think, um, you know, playing around with some of these other mash bills and even some of the finishes, I know that's gotten really trendy lately and we don't get crazy with all the, you know, different finishes, but that's, that's fun too, you know, just to work with other local craft beverage providers in the area to kind of see what, what their products can do, uh, you know, intermingling with, with what we make. So what's been one of your favorite, uh, experiment mash bills and, you know, concoctions or whatnot? Well, one that I think has become less of a one-off and something that we're going to, you know, make a lot more of going forward is a hundred percent malted rye, New York state malted rye. I love that whiskey that, that came out really nice. So that's become, you know, a yearly small production, but something that we're going to do annually now. You know, some, as far as like the finished whiskeys, we we did uh, a rye that we finished in a, a Pomo barrel, which is, um, I don't know if you guys have tried that before. No, it's, no. just go ahead and like, get geeky on us here. <laughs> basically like sweet apple cider that's been fortified with apple brandy. Oh, um, sounds delicious. Yeah. So it, it is kind of like an after dinner drink, but they aged that in our rye barrel we took that back and finished our rye in it. And that, that was really delicious. So I had one you did for Blake uh, at Sealbox. Uh, it was an ice wine finish. That was uh, really interesting. I, I crushed that bottle. It went <laughs> fast. It was very good. Yeah. What do you find more fun in the finishing or the experimentation of the mash bills? Uh, I'd say the experimentation of the mash bills, um, mainly because, you know, you're, you're making something and you don't know what that's going to taste like for four or five years, or maybe more. So, um, kind of, I think it just kind of builds more anticipation. So you're, you've kind of taken, you know, you, you were starting distilling, but now you're kind of taking more of the president CEO role. Talk about your master distiller, Jared, and what you sought out in him and what, what kind of he brings mindset does he bring to the table here at Finger Lakes for you? Yeah. So, um, you talked about the idea man and and then the guy that's executing he's he's the guy that executes he's he's amazing <laughs> he's a he's an analytical chemist so he's got his phd in chemistry um really smart guy but um you know understands that there's some art behind uh this as well so he appreciates that and uh probably the best thing about him is he can fix just about anything and that's that's what you need in a distiller because um oh, yeah. something there's always something there's a lot of shit up. to go wrong <laughs> yeah that's for sure but let's talk about that is, I mean, when you're starting this distillery and, and you are trying to figure out how your still works, and I know that you have, you have two stills now, so you can you kind of, can kind of flip flop and figure out which one you want, but did you have problems and, and figuring things out? I know we mentioned before you started that you kind of helped the Vendome made the still, but you actually pieced it together. Like it was like a, like a, the Lego set, they kind of just put everything here. <laughs> Wish it was that easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of tend to talk it's about like that a Kia furniture. <laughs> <laughs> well, we started with a, a pot still, uh, kind of a hybrid still that you see in a lot of the craft distillers because it gives you the versatility to make everything. So we can make our gin and vodka. Uh, we started making whiskey on that. But um, this has been about eight years ago now. I think we were one of the fr first craft uh, distillers to put in a continuous still. 
and uh, worked real closely um, with Rob at, at Vendome, um, you know, because there weren't really small continuous stills in the market. You know, it was a kind of a new venture. Uh, about the same time we got ours, I know Jim Beam got theirs, kind of their little test still, um, about the same size as ours. But yeah, there was some growing pains with that, just trying to figure out, you know, how to regulate steam with it. And, and um, there were definitely some growing pains putting that one in, but um, now it's been fantastic and it makes a wonderful whiskey and perfect size for kind of our setup here. Why does uh craft guys, why do they prefer a pot still over a column still? I know because column still is like consistent, predictable, you know, why, why do they like all the, I guess maybe it's an art, but I don't know. Why, why do they like that? And what does Jared prefer? Uh, he definitely prefers the continuous still. Yeah, I think he doesn't get a choice. It's already <laughs> yeah. there. You're like, I just bought this damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think the craft guys think that the pot still somehow makes a superior whiskey, but I, I disagree. I think the continuous is the way to go, particularly with American style whiskeys. You know, they're they're a little bit trickier. Why so with the American style? Well, I mean, I, I guess we we run everything on that in terms of rum and and brandy and everything. So you know, it's just. Um, our preference is the spirit that comes off of that still. Um, as far as like, you know, more traditional, like European style whiskeys, like we make an Irish style, uh, we do run that through the pot still just to um, kind of keep with that tradition, I guess. I got you. And you were mentioned earlier that your your pot still is really there for gin, rum, and some clear spirits that you're doing, because you're, you're doing a whole lot of stuff here. I mean, it's not just, it's just not the whiskey category. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. doing a whole lot of stuff here i mean it's not just it's just not the whiskey category yeah we have uh 22 i think of our own SKUs. a lot of them are just for the local market and our tasting room and that kind of thing but we contract manufacture you know another five or six brands too 
Yeah. Besides whiskey, what's your favorite baby? other baby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like gin, particularly this time, you know, in the summertime. And, and then, um, I don't know, I drink a lot of rum in the wintertime because it makes me feel like I'm not in... Uh, you know, upstate New York where it's 10 degrees out. <laughs> yeah, nice and cold. You can pretend I'm yeah. on a beach. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of gin, you had like a cool uh, thing for visitors here in your tasting room that they can do. Talk about that. Yeah. So the original gym program, people can come in uh, in small groups and, and um, they take a half a day with us to get to know the gin botanicals and kind of formulate their own blend uh, using the 25 that we have available to them. And then once they have them um, that kind of zeroed in, they uh, grind up the botanicals themselves. We charge the still. We have a, a small still that can make um, small batches for them. And, and we run the, the gin and then um, bottle it up for them. We get like 40 bottles for the group to take home with them. That's cool. Can we do that with some whiskeys? <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure out how to apply it. To Sounds the like a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Now, the one thing I, I want to notice, and, and I see it all the time, especially from the barrels that we've gotten back from doing Pursuit Series and Pursuit United with you, is your barrels, They it's like they're four years old, but they look like they're 30. <laughs> kind of talk about, we, we were kind of talking about that beforehand, but kind of talk about your your seasoning process yeah yeah, it was like your patented aging process here they basically come to us and you know we don't have a ton of space here so we we store barrels uh that haven't been filled outside and you know the weather can change within minutes here in terms of rain and you know can get very hot and humid but we fill these things up pretty quickly but they um they will sit outside for a little while and, and and they do weather a little bit before we fill them up and bring them in hey it's working the whiskey tastes great. Yeah, I know. So it, don't it was, change it. It was funny. Sorry, they're not pretty enough for no, you. No, yeah. no. He likes bougie barrels. It's, it's just funny. It's just funny because you see it. Like you know, we, we get barrels dumped from all kinds of places all the time, and you're most of the time you look at it and you're like, oh, that's got some rusted rings. Like that's that's probably some good one. Oh, that one's got some some bird shit on it. Like we look at yours and you're like, it's like you got like tar covered in it. Like it's just amazing. Like it's all how the part weather's of the process. Yeah, it's it's part of their their traditional aging process up here it'll be good on the inside yeah it's true it's all that matters <laughs> in the inside i guess and while we're talking about barrels kind of talk about your um you know your, your barrel thought process i mean a lot of these are coming from kelvin was that just your your thought process when you first started or like you said like oh we'll try a few different cooperages what was where was your head at there yeah we've worked mainly with uh, mcginnis and, and kelvin over the years and um we're real happy with the the whiskey that's coming out of the kelvin barrels right now so we're using them primarily um i can't remember are they at three or four uh mostly fours um we'll lay down some threes every once in a while but um our standard bourbon and rye come out of fours i think the thing that sets us apart when it comes to the barrels is the proof the entry proof uh, we go in the barrel at 100 proof which is you know Usually a hundred or a hundred and two, if it's something that might be destined for the bottled and bond product, but that's quite low by industry standards. Um, we made a commitment to do that early on, basically by you know just kind of getting to know the history of whiskey over the years, and even tasting some of the whiskeys that were um, you know made back before they changed the laws and brought the you know proof up to one twenty five. Um, so we're just really happy with the way. Uh, that higher water content in the the whiskey kind of works with the oak and acts as a little bit different solvent. And then we don't have to add much cut water uh, at the time of bottling either. So, you know, your your product's been aged all together and you're not adding just clear water to it. 
Yeah, I mean, a barrel-proof whiskey at 105 is an easy drinker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, Dangerously delicious. So do you think that, you know, that's why, like, your product at, like, say, four years or five years is so much more enjoyable versus, like, we've tried stuff from the big distillers at four or five, and we're like, can't even, like, stomach it, you know? Or sometimes it's, it's very green-tasting, just, you know, very corn-forward. Do you think that that plays a difference? I think that plays a big part of it, yeah. Because um, I, I think even our whiskeys at, you know, even two to three years old t- start to taste pretty good. I mean, we're, we like to extend beyond that and I, I think, think they only get better. Pretty good off the still. We were trying some earlier that we yeah. did. I'm yeah. like, holy cow. It's yeah. already that pretty goodness of mm-hmm. the still, man. It sure is. So, no, but I, I do think the lower entry proof uh, contributes to that. I don't, I don't want to say it ages faster, but it, it does take on a little bit more maturity um, for that age. So everybody I give finger lakes to because every time somebody comes over my house, I want to show you. I'm like, because everybody said everything in Kentucky and I'm like, I want you to try this. Tell me. And they say it just has like this big, bold, like fruitiness to it that they're not used to with Kentucky bourbons. Where does that come from, from you all, without giving your secrets away? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I think one, one thing about our distillery that's kind of unique is uh, we're nestled right in, you know, with a bunch of uh, vineyards right around us, including our own. And, you know, when we're even in the winter, you know, those doors are open to the distillery pretty much uh, all day long. We do open top fermentation, you know, with, with no temperature control. I think we're picking up a lot of, you know, wild yeasts, um, from potentially from the vineyards and the other farms locally. So that's going to create much different flavor profiles than if you were in the Midwest or something like that with all the the vineyards that we have here. Does that scare you at all? Wild yeast just kind of like floating around? Not yet. I mean, it's working. <laughs> I mean, you're going to distill it, but I mean, this, at some point, do you, do you get concerned? Because again, remember we talked about it before, I, I like consistency and I like to kind of know what my project is going to be like. Yeah. No, I, I think um, wild yeasts aren't anything that I'm concerned about. I think that's, if anything, given some nice extra flavor to the whiskey. Um, and we're very controlled when we set the fermenter to make sure all the conditions are just right. So you're not, you know, you're not going to have bacteria that's the stuff that you don't want to have competing with yeast and can mess up your fermentation but have you had any issues ever when you're like ah this fermentation is not going to work no like i said jared is coming off the still green what's going on here jared is a very precise individual and and uh you know he he kind of keeps things very consistent like like you said there so earlier you know we were talking about that you might have a and a double digit product coming out this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. This will be our first, um, 11 year old, uh, bourbon, uh, that'll be released, uh, in a few months. How hard is it to hold on? Cause I'm having a hard time and I've just been in this business for like two or three years. <laughs> How hard is it to hold on something for 11 years? It's tough. We did the same thing with that single malt. And, uh, I think the the most frustrating part isn't so much the time, but it's when you look at it at the end of that span and, you know, you've got half of what you put in there because um, the angels got their part of it, you know. So that's tough, but that's only making the whiskey better too. So kind of have to deal with it. Well, I mean, is when you when you look at it, are you thinking like, oh, maybe 11 years is our sweet spot? Or are you like, nah, we're, we're good at like four <laughs> or five, six? Like <laughs> what's, your, what's your thought process? Uh, we really like the whiskey kind of, it, it depends on the product. The, the bourbon, you know, I think like that five, six year range is is really a good spot for us. Uh, the rye, you know, we'll still mix in some younger uh, whiskey with that, um, mainly just because I think, you know, you start to lose some of that spicy character with the whiskey when it starts to compete with the 
with the oak too much. So uh, we like the rye a little bit younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's getting to 11 years. You're right. It's, it's tough to, to hold on to it, especially I'm sure after 11 years, you keep going back and sampling it. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, <laughs> and, and, and did you finally get to 11? You're like, all right, now it's ready. <laughs> I blamed it on the angels, but you know, um, Got your the, it got a little bit, distiller the, share too. Is that the so is that the oldest one? Is there any any more down the line that that's the oldest one I've got uh in stock right now and we've got a few to follow that up with. So yeah, we may hold one a little bit longer. We got, I worry that our whiskey. I worry that our whiskey may kind of hit its peak at that age, to be honest with you. Um maybe having to do with that um the low entry proof. Low entry proof, yeah. And that's always what I've wondered is like is the you know, the big boys, because they're at that higher proof, is it built for age? You know, that eight to 12 year, you know, kind of mark, whereas the lower entry proof is better at lower proof. So it's like, it's like, I'm just trying to understand why people do things. You know, it's like, why does everybody do four? Why do they do 125? Why do they do 100? You know, just trying to understand everybody's methodology. So uh, with us being small, um, you know, our, our warehouse isn't very big, you know, 5,000 square feet and the ceilings aren't real high. So it's, it's, it's kind of creating an environment where there isn't a huge discrepancy between what's on the you know lower shelves and what's up top. Um, I like to call it shelves. Yeah. shelves. You, you, you don't have a tier six. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just Rick pallet pallet six. Yeah, we do have some uh, heat in the floor uh, of the warehouse too, just because the winters. You guys picked a great time to come, but when we were trying to plan, he's like, do not come, just come in the summer. You know, not any other time that you're not coming. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we um, it, it's a very long winter here, so we do have to give a little heat. I think last winter you were like, you know, we I was trying to get a hold of you and hadn't for a while and you're like, sorry, man, plow hit, you know, fermentation tank or, so, or a holding tank or something. What, what, what was that happened? Yeah, I think the plow hit our, um, you know, our spent grain tank uh, outside and then it happened to uh, all pour inside of our one of our warehouse buildings. So oh, it was fun. Gosh. Oh man, gotta love it. Call Serve Pro. <laughs> gotta be love being the owner. <laughs> Get that call. Yeah, we are Serve Pro You're like, around here. <laughs> I guess should be back in banking. <laughs> you know, another question about the the lower entry proof as well. Does that have uh, a lot of impact in regards of excise tax or anything like that that you are paying on the actual end product when it goes to being dumped or anything like that? Not really, because the only the only products that we're not cutting are the cask strength single barrels. So you know we pay the tax on uh, what the bottle uh, leaves the warehouse at, the tax paid warehouse at. So you know because we do quite a few single barrels, it has some implication. So if we're putting one out at 103 proof versus 120 proof, you know there'll be some implication there, but but not not anything substantial. You got 120 proofer. No, because we don't go in that high. <laughs> and it doesn't the highest get that, we've seen is like 1, 110, 111, something yeah, like that. Yeah, and it doesn't get that hot here to where it can get up to those 120 range That's right. and whatnot. No, it's crazy. Well, who knows? Now that you know, we'll, be, we'll be putting down some barrels here. We might we might throw a 120 or 115 or just, I mean, who knows? Just see throw a happens. wrench in Jared's day. Yeah, those yeah. damn pursuit guys yeah, fucking but, everything up. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we're paying for the experimentation, not them, right? So right. it's a lot easier. But then right. it's up like, we're like, uh, we got to wait till it turns 15. We're like, well, that's, that's that, why we press it out by the proof gallon. <laughs> that's on us. That's on us then. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> so, you know, we also, when we look at uh, just the area and 
what is your distilling business kind of done for economic impact uh, in the area too? Because as I mentioned earlier, like it looks like you've kind of cornered the market on the distilling side. I, we were driving around. And this is the only one that kind of looks like uh, you're, you're doing the bourbon whiskey and gin and liqueur and everything else like that. Yeah. I mean, I could answer that probably a couple different ways. One for the local community. I think we've become somewhat of our own destination here in the Finger Lakes. So you know, a lot of people that are here are here for the natural beauty of the area or to, you know, enjoy the wineries and they just happen upon us or they, you know, we're part of their, their trip here. But uh, we also get people that come that say that they're here specifically to see us. And, and uh, so I think that's done some good things for the, the local economy. Um, I was very active with the New York State Distillers Guild and getting that formed and, and off the ground. And, uh, you know, we've done some economic impact studies about the industry as a whole in New York. And it's, it's pretty incredible what it's done. Um, first and foremost, I guess the, um, you know, the, most of the distilleries are farm distilleries, which require us to use New York State agriculture and what we make. So we're helping farms quite a bit um, in terms of buying ingredients. You said your your corn guy's like two miles down the road or something. Yep, yep. He's just over the hill. Yeah. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, it's Bauer Farms. There you go. Yep. Shout out to Bauer Farms. Yeah. Get some good grains. Oh, so yeah. another question is, is uh, you know, you talked about people that are coming here just to see to see you all. What's the furthest that you've met somebody that they've traveled to just come see Finger Lakes Distilling? Oh boy. I mean, we've had people from Scotland here that we've worked with. Um, other than that, I mean, we do see people from all over. Um, all over the world. I but. sent somebody from Dallas here last year. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I remember. Yeah. I was like, buddy's like, I'm going to be in the Finger Lakes region. I was like, well, you should go to Finger Lakes to Zilling. There yeah. you go. Here's Brian's number. Um, but, you know, this is an ideal spot for like, if you live in a Northeast city, uh, Philadelphia, New York City, even Boston, you know, it's it's a great like little weekend getaway. Escape um, the busyness of the city. Exactly. Yeah. It's a beautiful region. We enjoy the views and Obviously, enjoy the whiskey. Yeah, the whiskeys. <laughs> the views are nice, but the whiskey. The that's whis what brought us here. That's what brought us here. <laughs> it yeah. makes us stay here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the another thing you kind of look at is, uh, you know, as as somebody who is also forecasting, like, what are you predicting and, and looking and changing in regards of your all strategy to help, you know, push your, your distillery into what's going to be here in the next three, four, five, ten years? Well, I think it's evaluating distributor relationships in a lot of ways because uh, if you've got the right people that really believe in your story and your product and everything, they're going to be um, very effective at trying to move some product for you. I spend a lot of time trying to tell our story and getting out to different markets and that kind of thing. But, you know, you can only go so far. A one-person team is not, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to scale. <laughs> you know, and, and we've had family that's helped with that. And Jared, you know, he's a good salesperson for us too. But um, yeah, it's really now trying to find those partners uh, that can kind of push the product out into to new markets and, and not just have it, you know, sit in a warehouse or on a shelf somewhere. What current markets are you in now? Uh, we're in 14 states right now. Um, Northeast, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, uh, we've, our distributor there has moved into Kentucky now and Indiana. Um, that's right. I was at Westport wine and whiskey. I was like, Hey, there's McKenzie. <laughs> just opened up the mid Atlantic a little bit. And then we have some West coast distribution too. Very nice. And just speaking of the name McKenzie too, you know, you came out with the McKenzie rye and all this other sort of stuff, but you know, you put your name on a bottle. Like when you did it, is it like, Hey, I'm, we're just going to put my name on it. 
or was it, did you have like, you're throwing a bunch of ideas around and, and how did that name stick? Well, our first distiller was also a McKenzie, um, but not related to me. So, um, yeah, we, we kind of thought we had, <laughs> like, had to go that direction. That <laughs> I don't know, flip a coin. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the, the story for a while, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm proud of it. You know, I think it kind of pays, um, respect to the Scottish roots and history of, there's a, there's a lot of McKenzie's in the whiskey business. I'll tell you that. Um, I think there's three at Jack Daniels. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's a good name for the product. And you don't really think you're somewhat not related to even anybody in the distilling industry. Do you have, have you, Oh, I'm have, sure. Have you sure. Yeah, called the, uh, <laughs> you know, what is it with the, what's the online genealogy one? Uh, uh, 23 me or something, yeah, something I don't like know. that try to figure out like where where, 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 <laughs> yeah. where do we all match up jacob here? call was saying how he did that he got did his genial and you know like figured out i had more relatives in the <laughs> distilling so. yeah and then they get the sample and it's filled with whiskey been <laughs> exactly <so> <laughs> yeah it's okay that's one way to do it but brian i want to say thank you again for for coming on the show today and uh, it's and for inviting us up here as well i mean this is uh it's a pleasure to to finally come do this in person sip some great whiskey as well and, and be able to see this little place you call home every day yeah now this is great having you guys here it's been a long time in the works and it's uh just something i've been looking forward to so great to have you yeah well next, yeah, next time we're gonna we're gonna put a few more days and we're gonna we're gonna go on the i know and go the on the jet pontoon. ski yeah the pontoon the jet ski over here and get stuff. you guys out on the wakeboard if you want oh uh, man <laughs> dude I'll, I'll tell you one one story so my roommate in college uh, he's you know had a boat big lake wakeboarder in lake cumberland and I remember the first time he was like, yeah, sure. Get on go and try it. Get on. Like I fall like on my face, like five times in a row. He's like, I right, get back in the boat. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried it again since then. I can wakeboard with you, Brian. Scared to get hurt, but I'll survive. I'll be all right. <laughs> Are you a good wakeboarder? I'm not too bad. I'm yeah. Not too bad. You're yeah. out there carving it up. You, you're doing some jumps, <laughs> jumping wake to wake. I used to be better, but no. Do you do the surfing at all? No, I haven't tried that. My daughter just got into that, but. Yeah, yeah. surfing's cool. I like that because it's a little slower. Less, uh, <laughs> you can't really, you can move around, but less chance of injury. I like it. Now, just throw me on a tube. I'll do tubing any day. Yeah, we'll throw them off the tube. <laughs> yeah. You just swing <laughs> it real hard. Tube, Brian. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> swing it real hard. But Brian, thank you again for, for coming on the show today. If people want to follow you, how do they do it? Uh, yeah, we have all the, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook and um, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website, just fingerlakesdistilling.com. And FLX Distilling, I think is That's what it right. is yep. on Instagram and stuff like yep. that too. So make sure you follow them. Make sure you follow us, Bourbon Pursuit on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Really a little bit everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You should be on TikTok. Yeah, we're doing a little bit of everything now. <laughs> but again, if you and if you're listening to this, you're probably already subscribed. But if not, make sure you subscribe, tell your friends, join our newsletter. We got one of those two, bourbonpursuit.com. And with that, cheers everybody, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>